0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
1: On this week's episode, we have Lauren. Hello. And Justin. Today we'll be diving into the world of... Fires, wildfires that have been ravaging our country, and not just Australia, but many other countries around the world. We'll be talking about what exactly that means, how they're formed, and what the implications are in relation to climate change. And now we launch
0: into our Launchpad News segment.
1: Today's City of Science is the lovely city of Warsaw. Now, we're talking about Warsaw for one of the very interesting reasons, um, and that is where it will be hosting the United Nations, United Nations Conference on Climate Change this year. Um, now, the United Nations Framework for the Convention on Climate Change, the UNFCCC, meets every year, uh, and it's meeting this year in Warsaw, so that's why it's our city of science.
0: So, Justin, why are we talking about a climate change conference in Warsaw?
1: Well, there's a little bit of a verbal stoush occurring this week between the Australian Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, and the head of the UNFCCC, Christina Fogueres, about climate change and the Australian wildfires that are occurring at the moment in New South Wales. So that's why we're talking about this convention in Warsaw.
0: What's the big deal about this climate change conference, though?
1: Okay, well, the UNFCCC has met every year since 1995 uh, to develop frameworks and ideas and ways for countries across the world to meet their climate change targets. You may remember the Kyoto Protocols or the Cancun Agreements. This is the body and the meetings that help form these agreements and targets for the rest of the world to follow.
0: I've heard actually about the Kyoto Protocols before, but can you tell me a little bit more about it?
1: Yeah, so the Kyoto Protocols aren't a fantastic anime or game coming out of Japan. (laughs) It's actually an incentive agreement formed in 1997. It's actually a treaty with binding targets and obligations for industrialized countries to meet to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. So it was a way to put in a framework for for countries to work towards to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and put in a bit of a teeth into it. So the idea was to improve greenhouse gas, cut CO2 emissions, and improve air quality, reduce pollution, which improves not only the health of countries, but also helps address um, the melting of the ice caps and global warming, which is real targets of the Kyoto Protocols.
0: That sounds really cool. I mean, the whole world getting together to improve like that. Did everyone actually take part in this?
1: Well, the really funny part is that not everyone signed up, and not everyone signed up immediately. So, yes, Russia and China, for example, signed in 2002, and they only ratified, which means actually said, we do it and start the process of in 2005. The United States, United States has signed up, but it's never it's signaled that it has no intention of ratifying it. <laughs> Australia signed up, uh, was a signatory, and we ratified in 2007 give you a bit of a timeline for how it all worked. And so this is well before the Emissions Trading Scheme, and the steps that were initially taken happened long before uh, the Labor government of 2007 with Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd.
0: This means Australia is definitely working towards it, right?
1: That's right. So we have taken steps, and the Howard government, um, which is the Liberal government that led uh, in from 1996 onwards they actually also recognised this and took steps to actually address these problems and cut greenhouse gas emissions. So Australia is working to this. Both major political parties acknowledge and it's important and are interested in working towards it.
0: But Justin, that was, wasn't this Kyoto conference a long time ago? I mean, is a things still happening now?
1: Well, that's the interesting question. And so there's a whole bunch of different conferences, and you might have heard Cancun floating around, and not just in the party sense, and a lot of other agreements and conferences that, ha- that are held. So Kyoto was a, a great milestone, but the problem was set a long time ago, and a lot of countries have said that they're not going to, they're not going to meet the targets, or they have met the targets, but they're not going to go any further than those targets, and that's really only a beginning step. There's no longer term agreement for that next stage, and that's what they're trying to work out now. They've tried in Cancun in 2010; they looked like they were going to have really good progress, but. Some diplomacy, some posturing and some comments from key officials in both the United States, China and other countries have really led to them being stalled and they haven't really seen any big progress in quite some time. It takes time and it's very difficult but we haven't really seen any major movements. And it's hoped that Warsaw will be a next step in that. So any comment from a government official can really have a lot of impact. And we really hope that they don't just kick the can down the road, uh, to use news conference speak, and actually come up with an agreement.
0: This sounds like a really big issue, and hopefully we can still keep moving towards fixing it.
1: That's right. And that's the important work of the UNFCCC. And uh, that's why Christina Figueres was talking about climate change this week. Australia is a sunburnt country. It's a land of blistering plains. We've had bushfires here since before the dreaming times. Our plants and environments have grown dependent on these fires to help clear out and reboot our ecosystem. The fires also help some of our new generation of plants grow. It is part of our Australian environment. Since the first Australians arrived here over 40,000 years ago, we've been using the fires to help clear ground for hunting and to live or to foster growth. We have, however, also had to learn to live and adapt to these fires. And since we started to build cities amongst the trees, like the beautiful Blue Mountains in Sydney or the grassy plains north of Melbourne, we have run the risk of damaging our homes and losing lives. So we're going to be talking a bit about the Australian bushfires and the Australian environment and what we do to combat these challenges and what fire actually needs to survive in the Australian context. Lauren? What do we need to have to have a bushfire? What what turns a normal fire into an out-of-control bushfire that's so deadly? Well,
0: for a fire to actually happen, what you first need is fuel. Here in Australia, this is stuff like bushland, scrub, grass, and unfortunately sometimes our homes, as well as oxygen, you know, to fuel the fire, and heat. So these are things that surround a normal fire. However, what actually happens in a bushfire? How does this relate to a bushfire? In a bushfire, you've got normal things like fuel. However, if the fuel is very dry and there's lots of dried out grasses and plants lying around, um, there's an abundant fuel source, and that's what turns a normal fire into a bushfire because there's just so much fuel lying around to feed this fire. And the less moisture as well um, in this fuel, the more dangerous the fire is.
1: Yeah, so if you have a dried out bit of scrub and grass and uh, trees, then they're going to catch fire more easily than very lush verdant lawns.
0: This is true. Also, oxygen is a big thing as well. So of course, you're always going to have a supply of oxygen. That's part of living here on Earth. But um, things like weather and strong winds, they can actually push the fire along and make it a lot harder to control because they can carry things like embers far away, you know, for example, from rooftop to rooftop. Also, different changes in the wind can result in fires changing in directions that we can't predict and things like that, which can be very, very dangerous.
1: There's also the very deadly effect of uh, when you have the localized windstorms where you get fire tornadoes, which are terrifying to see on video, but also kind of cool.
0: Uh, One of the major things about bushfires is you only really see them in in summer because heat is a major thing as well if you've got a hot day then you're more likely to have less moisture around because it's all evaporated and that leads to having drier fuel which we know contributes to um, a bushfire how did the fires actually
1: start This is
0: a tougher question because fires aren't just things that magically appear out of nowhere. We realize this. Um, They can have a lot of different causes, for example, natural ones like lightning striking a tree which catches on fire. However, we can have deliberate lighting of fires, for example, arson and machine or equipment failures and accidental human interaction of causing those fires to start. These fires aren't just uh, magically created by nature, but we have a lot of contribution to starting them as well. The Black Saturday bushfires that I'm sure you've all heard about, they actually had all of those causes that I listed before
1: yeah, so the ones in New South Wales most recently, one of them was certainly arson, and another one was actually um, uh, some backburning or some work done by the uh, armed forces. So if these fires we actually have tangible causes that we can associate with, it, whether it be natural or unnatural, that means that climate change obviously didn't cause the fires. And this is like that kind of point of contention that uh, Christina Figueres and Tony Abbott were arguing about this week.
0: I mean, I guess it really depends on how you argue it, because yes, the climate change itself isn't starting the fires, those fires are caused by um, specific little events, like um, we've mentioned before. It is climate change itself that is directly exacerbating these situations and making it a lot worse and changing these fires from smaller, containable fires into the dangerous bushfires that we see.
1: So what it turns out in that case is that really both parties are kind of correct. I mean, it's yes, it wasn't the cause of climate change, but climate change makes it worse than it could have been. And so Tony Abbott is correct when he says that Australia is a place where bushfires have happened for ages. He's definitely correct on that and that humans didn't cause that but we did make it more likely that our climate change has made it more likely that they'll be uncontrollable and uncontainable. But what proof do we really have of that? Like, I mean, where, where are we getting these ideas from that or the, the evidence to justify these claims?
0: I mean, to to find out that this situation is actually getting worse in relation to climate change, we have a lot of different sources. For example, from local sources, um, so if you you get a few facts and numbers from that, the number of days of extreme fire danger, which is those days where you're not allowed to light fires and the fire departments are on high alert, those have actually increased, and each year we're seeing more days like this. We're also getting longer summers which means drier fuel because there's there's that increased period of heat, which is one of the factors we said led to um, fires. This year we actually had one of the warmest winters on record across Australia, so that means we've had a lot more drier fuel and less time to go and soak that up and make that less of a fire bushfire fuel
1: big question is where are we getting some of this evidence from and one of the places where we're getting all this information from is the country fire association of victoria which is the firefighting body authority responsible for regional areas in victoria and australia and they have a report on the strategy to address fire and risk over the next 25 years now our firefighters do a very good job of fighting fires and managing the risk and it is their job to know all about fires what causes them and how to combat them They've reported a report that was uh, delivered in July that says, you know, there have been only 21 days in 102 years of record where an average temperature across Australia exceeded 39 degrees. Eight of those have happened in the summer of 2012 to 13 that's a pretty alarming fact. Another one is the number of very high and extreme fire danger days is very likely to increase as average temperature rises. So this is from the chief firefighting authority in Victoria that are saying these things, not a body of scientists, the people who actually fight the fires.
0: Has other research also been done into the increased risk of fire?
1: Yeah, and so, I mean, to back this up, scientists are also looking into this. So uh, CSIRO, which is a peak scientific organisation in Australia, government funded, uh, they've also looked in the increased number of fire risk days and where the risk is more likely to occur. And they're finding that um the fire weather risk is likely to increase specifically over the next over the next you know 20 years, between 2020 and 2050. Uh, And the likely to see a four to twenty five percent increase by twenty twenty in the number of high risk days. So this is not of fires started, this is of high risk days. The more high risk days you'd have obviously the greater chance of a fire, the greater risk. And a fifteen to seventy percent increase in high risk days by 2050. So that, that's that's an insane amount, right? So they're talking about 25 in Canberra, for example, uh, 25 to 28 days of high risk fire in 2020, and 38 up to 38 days by 2050. Tasmania, okay, from their modelling, should be okay, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, everywhere else is seeing much higher increased risk.
0: So right we should all be... and
1: autumn.
0: So we should all be moving Tasmania then.
1: Uh, if you want to avoid bushfires. So the interesting part about this is that our fire authorities themselves are aware of this and doing research and figuring out the best ways to battle bravely and defend lives and property. So this isn't a political f- discussion, it's one of facts, and the people who are actually putting out the fires themselves and tackling the issues are dealing in the world of facts.
0: And they've realised that, that climate change is actually increasing the chances of more fires.
1: Potentially, all- yep, potentially increasing the risk, yeah.
0: So even though climate change itself isn't directly the cause of more fires, it is contributing to it. So Justin, Australia is not the only place that exists in the world. We don't believe we're like America. We acknowledge that other places exist. This is true. Surely, I mean, we our ma- one of our major natural disasters is stuff like drought and fires, but surely other places have to have fires as well, right?
1: Yeah, and we aren't the only places that have suffered tremendously damaging and disastrous fires. The rest of the world, the general terminology is wildfire. Bushfire is an Australian terminology, but they mean the same thing. Um, and they have occurred on every continent you can think of. They are plagued by wildfires.
0: But we don't hear about this much. I mean, are they just small fires or are they as big as the ones we have?
1: Often quite bigger. So there's a couple of fires I'll we'll, oh, speak about. I'm really getting into the detail of some of these. Um, and I'll run through little, some that have happened in the last... 10 years or so to give you a feel for what other countries think about wildfires and uh, get into the details from this. Because one of the interesting questions raised this week by our environment minister, uh, Mr. Hunt, who was uh, asked, who admitted to looking up Wikipedia to help understand what the rest of the world thought about wildfires in connection to climate change. And it's really quite a problem that not just Australia is dealing with, but every other country in the world. It's not just a unique thing to Australia. So, for example, Southern Europe. Since July 2000, when in July 2000, there was a massive heat wave that hit Europe. Um, and they were, they were sitting temperatures between 40 to 45 degrees. And Europe freaks out when it's like 35. <laughs> so to be up to 40 to 45 is crazy. And basically, southern France, all the way through Iberia, Spain, and Corsica, the island, were ravaged by bushfires in 2000. In 2007, there was a massive series of fires in Greece. Uh, these burned for months, like they started in August and were put out some in, in September. In uh, 2010, Russia was ravaged by wildfires, not just at one batch of fire. When we speak about fire fires or bushfires, it's not a single fire, it's a whole collection of fires. The fires in Russia in 2010 caused about $15 billion of damages.
0: How could it cost $15 billion in damages? Is this just um
1: A lot, a lot of houses? factors. So it's not just houses. These fires burnt great swaths of countryside, and they destroyed most of Russia's food projects. Now, Russia is a huge producer of food, and the amount of farmland that it destroyed, as well as homes and machinery and infrastructure, basically caused a food crisis in the world. Prices of wheat skyrocketed in 2000. And there was a shortage of food that obviously you would have seen in Australia by an increase in prices by a huge percentage. A lot of the rest of the world, it meant starvation. And that was really damaging. Not only that, but the heat wave that accompanied it and the fires themselves, the smog from basically caused a whole bunch of smog that blanketed the country and Eastern Europe. Hospitals and medical resources in Europe estimated that 56,000 56, people either died from the effects of the, the fires, the smog, and the air pollution or the heat wave. So that's, that's a huge amount of damage. In another part of the world, the United States, for example, they've had a whole big series of recent fires. 2011, there were some fires in New Mexico, Texas, and Arizona, the largest fires in, the, in those states' histories. Thousands of homes were lost and destroyed. In 2012, there were another series of fires in Colorado, California, and Oregon, causing equally large amounts of damage. If you go to South America, Bolivia, so you think about South America, think about jungle and the Amazon, Bolivia and South America was ravaged by fires, 2,500 fires burned across 15,000 square kilometers. And there was a lot of fatalities along dry summer. Uh, the government basically was in shambles to try and address these because they didn't have enough water bombers to try and put out all these fires.
0: That, that is a lot of fires. Is anyone looking into this and comparing like the different conditions for those fires?
1: yeah and a lot of good scientists are digging into this, and one of the really interesting things we talked about before was risk, right? So what we increases the risk of uh, fire danger to ourselves and to basically to humanity is the increased interface between us, our towns and cities, and wildlands. And they call this the WUI or the Wildland Urban Interface. So in the United States and Europe and a lot of other places, that interface is increasing. So a lot of people's homes are now backing onto scrubland, bushfires, oh, or bush or grass. And that means that when a fire happens, we are very close to the danger.
0: Mm-hmm. It's increased vulnerability to the actual bushfires rather yeah. than...
1: And so, for example, the United States, there are about 70,000 communities that they've estimated that is have gone from a moderate risk uh, to a high risk from uncharacteristically large fires. And so this is from the US Forestry Service. Another researcher named Don Wibbles from the, atmospheric, uh, the Professor of Atmospheric Sciences from the University of Illinois. And he was a part of a team that was compiling a federal report for the US federal government about the more impact, severe weather trends that have resulted from climate change. And his quote is, if we look at how the climate has changed over the past 50 years with warmer temperatures increasing beyond what we used to see in the early part of the 20th century, and the changes in precipitation, which means moisture, fires will continue to happen and get worse and worse. And the numbers that are going to soar. So, if you look at the actual historical records from the US uh, Forestry Service, or the fire chief from there it said that there is twice as many acres of year burnt than there were 40 years ago. So, fires are affecting double the amount of area than was happening 40 years ago. That's that's quite That strange. is.
0: A- that is a large increase.
1: Yeah. And uh, some, some of the uh, very established scientists and engineers from uh, Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Sciences have actually built models to understand what the protected impact will be for firefighters and, and government so they can plan for it. And uh, by, they reckon by about 2050, the fire season will be three weeks longer than it already is, will be twice as smoky, so more smog and damage, and burn a much wider area of western states. And so, they've they've used masses of historical data and past fire activity to build a model that says all these things.
0: So, Justin, what are causing all these massive, um, this massive increase in fires? I mean, surely some of these are just caused by things like lightning strikes, right?
1: Yeah, and that's a really good question because lightning strikes are a good natural cause. NASA has been looking into this. Obviously, NASA are pretty smart people, right? And uh, they have a lot of satellites, so they can monitor these things. So, Dr. Joel Levin from the NASA's Langley Research Center, uh, he's a biomass burning expert, so they can monitor biomass, which means obviously for organic matter, trees, plants, scrub that is burning. And what they found is that ninety percent of biomass or green stuff that's burning is burnt by human instigation. Um, so he he did a program from uh, 1985 to 1999 that used satellite imagery to monitor this. Monitor this. And, by um,
0: human instigation, what do they mean? Well, exactly? that means
1: is that by controlled planned deliberate burning or uncontrolled burning. Now, a lot okay. of that might be farming, so this is not specifically related to bushfires, but what he's saying is that out of all the fires that occurred, most 90% of that is actually from human instigation and 10% is actually from natural causes. And what they've also picked up is that the change of what's burning globally is changing over time as well. So what they're actually seeing is more boreal or forest fires, right, fires that burn in trees, uh, like we would call bushfires, Uh, As in the northern latitudes, right? So that's what they're saying is where these fires are increasingly happening, which is very interesting research from a satellite or a global perspective in monitoring.
0: Well, what are we doing exactly to make these high-risk areas safer?
1: And this is a really good question. After the Black Saturday bushfires in Victoria in 2008, there was a lot of Investigation. There was a royal commission established, which came up with a bunch of recommendations to f- prevent a disaster happening on this scale again. A lot of these went from building codes, town planning, warning uh, and warning systems, emergency warning systems. A lot of these have been adopted, and a lot of great work has been happening in Victoria as well as across Australia and other countries as well. Um, one of the interesting parts about it is where source of ignition. Um, one of the fires on Black Saturday was started by a electrical uh, transfer network part of it a transformer sparking this sparked off a fire that went out of control Uh, and this is from the electrical wires themselves so one of the recommendations was to bury these high voltage transmission towers we can't get rid of them we need them to give the cities the power but if we bury them we reduce the risk of sparking and arcing and catching fires that hasn't been done because it's very expensive and but this still has caused problems in victoria and adelaide so that's an interesting area that we're looking at in the future but we hope we don't forget the lessons of the past too quickly
0: so we're not just improving things like um, electricity, um, possible electrical causes, but we're also changing the ways that we're reacting to bushfires and things That's like right. that. That's
1: right, and we're having safety plans, um, understanding what fires mean and coming up with good ways to evacuate early as opposed to too late when you, when people won't be able to escape.
0: This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Green Point.
1: So in today's episode, we've talked about the science of bushfires or wildfires what they uh, mean for Australia and, in fact, for the world and some of the background behind the debates that have been occurring this week in the media.
0: Our ending theme was composed by Audio Analytics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information
1: about the young scientists of Australia.